Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 is where we're going to be today. Let me ask you this. What was the last good dream that you had? The last dream that you dreamt, that was a good one. A lot of people don't remember their dreams. You, uh, you, ever, you ever wake up and you think, that was weird, but then you can't articulate what it was. I've, I've told that to Jackie before. I was like, that was weird. And she's like, what? And I said, I, I don't know. There was this dude and he said something. And she's like, that's really detailed. And I'm like, yeah, but it was weird, you know? You just don't remember those things, but more specifically, not so much the dreams that you have at night, but what about the dreams while you're awake? What about the daydreams that you have in your life? Like when you dream for a future that is good and it is better, can you think back to a time in which you had a dream about a good and better future, about the way that your life would go, your family, your education? your career, that sort of stuff, when you were really kind of dreaming about how it was going to all fall into place, how you were going to live and how you would be accepted. This sort of hit me this week on Wednesday. We had a a, a big meeting, a committee meeting. Two of our standing committees were going to have one meeting together on Wednesday night. And after work, I went by and got them some insomnia cookies. Have y'all tried those yet? They're pretty good. And I got some insomnia cookies, I got some waters, I got all that sort of stuff. I came up here to the church, put out the agendas for all the meeting, I put out all the water, I put the cookies out, set everything up. But because of the timing, there wasn't really enough time for me to run home and and come back to the church. So I just sat in a room up here in an empty building by myself in the dark, just kind of sat there. And as I sat there, I thought about, you know, my life. And And I looked around and I said, how did I get here? How did all of a sudden I'm spending a couple hours waiting on a committee meeting? When I was 17 or 18 and I started to dream about what it would be like to be a pastor one day and where I would be and what I would do, I promise you, committee meetings never even crossed my mind. It never, I never even thought to myself, I would probably be sitting out cookies 20 years from now waiting on people to show up at a church. And it's not bad. It's, it's actually good. It's, it's, it's a neutral part of my job. It's just a, a part of what I do. And we all have parts of our jobs like that, but it really did hit me. How did I get here? Like, when did this become what, how did the dream become this, right? Has that ever happened to you where you start to look around and you think, this isn't anything like what I thought it would be? Maybe not even neutral things, maybe bad things, negative things, right? Like when you got married, have you ever looked around and you thought to yourself, how did our marriage get this way? Because when you two were all standing there in front of the justice of the peace, all full of adventure and happiness and love for one another, and you thought it would go so much differently. And now you look at each other and you're like, I don't, I don't even know. It's like, even in moments where you're like not even mad at each other, you're just like, I don't know how we got here. This wasn't the dream. You know that time when you got the dream job offer and you signed up and you got it and then they put your, your name on the, on the front of your desk or maybe it was even embroidered into your shirt and you thought, this is it, this is the dream, this is what I wanna do. And you look up one day and, and personalities and politics has all gotten in the middle of it and you're like, how did, 
How did this become what the dream was? How did we dream and then end up here? You try out for the team, you try out for the band, you try out for whatever it is. It's all full of excitement. Then one day you're just tired and exhausted and a losing record or, or challenges ahead of you. And you think, this isn't what I dreamed about. This isn't the way that I thought it would go. I talk to people all the time who, when their children are young, they have this whole like little gaggle of children, right? And the dream one day is that you would, you would host Friday night dinners or holidays and they would all come back with their spouses and their children. And there would be all this excitement, this love, and it's just this full overflowing house. But sadly now they live all over the country and two of them don't even talk to each other anymore. And you think to yourself, how did, how did we get this way? It has this way, life has this way of killing off the dream, but more sadly, I think, is killing off the dreamer. You end up one day, and you don't have to be old at all, but you just end up one day thinking, this is, this is just the way it is. It's just the way it is. You don't ever dream about a day which would be good or better, where your life would be better than it is just the way that it is. In Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 23, Jeremiah has a dream, and he tells us about it. He has this dream, and it's unusual because almost every time that Jeremiah has a dream in his book here, he wakes up and he says, this is the meaning of the dream, and it's horrible. I hate that dream. That's what he says. But in verse 26, he says, at this I awoke and looked around. Has that ever happened to you? You wake up and you look around and you think for just a second, where am I and what day is it? Right? Has that ever happened? As at this I awoke and I looked around, and my sleep had been most pleasant to me. The dream was a good dream. That was a good dream. I'm wondering if we could take a look at his dream in 23 through 25, maybe see what it meant for him, see what it meant for the people in his community, in his faith community, in his family. I wonder if we understood his dream better. Is there a way, is there a possibility that we could walk out of here today, regardless of our age and regardless of how many dead dreams are in our past, Dreaming again, thinking again, and hoping for good and for better. Let's pray together, and then we'll take a look at Jeremiah's dream. God, thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us and continue to bless us. Thank you for community, small groups, making much of you and worshiping. I pray now that we would open our minds and our hearts to what your text says. God, there are certainly areas and circumstances where we do not measure up. But God, today I pray that you would give us the strength and the grace and the faith to do better, to better reflect you in our community. And for those who are no longer dreamers, I pray that today we would leave with at least one dream, a dream for a restored family, restored marriages, restored relationships, but most of all, that we would be made good and right and complete in and with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. So, Jeremiah has this dream that is satisfying. What is that dream? You can look at it very, there in verse 23. Let's read it, 23 through 25. This is what the Lord of armies, your text may say hosts, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, when I restore their fortunes, 
They will once again speak this word in the land of Judah and in its cities. May the Lord bless you, righteous settlement, holy mountain. Judah and all its cities will live in it together. Also farmers and those who move with the flocks forward. This is what God says, verse 25, for I satisfy the thirsty person and I feed all those who are weak. God's dream, Jeremiah's dream, God's plan is that he would Restore. It says, when I restore their fortunes. All throughout the Bible, there's this idea of restoration, that God is going to make things right. But I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but what does that mean? What does it mean for God to restore? What does it mean for him to make things right? Well, biblically, the idea means to make whole, to make complete, to bring it back to the ideal that it once was. It has all sorts of implications There are laws in the Bible about restoring somebody's uh, property that they stole. So there's that. You can restore that. But there's also verses like, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Meaning that something has been broken. Something is decayed. Something is rotten. And God has the power and the ability to make it back to the ideal. And all that, you know, settles within us and in different ways. There's a number of things though in the text that help us to be encouraged by it. That we would be encouraged that this is God's dream, that this is God's plan for his people and he has shared that dream with Jeremiah. The first one is right there at the very beginning of verse 23. This is what the Lord of armies or hosts has said. See, what Jeremiah dreamt was not just what God was going to do, but that God was able to do it. All throughout the Bible, you'll read text where it says the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts. The concept is that God is the commander, the instructor, the, 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 the admiral of, of an unbelievable force, this undeniable strength that he has armies that he can command, that he can, he can leverage for his own purposes and his own will. God is unbelievably powerful and the force that is behind him is something that cannot be limited so when we think about it and we see around us all of the all of the evidences of decay like when we see broken lives and broken marriages and broken hearts and and broken minds and we see people who struggle through life and and even people who all smile and look good and, and seem all nice and get along with other people but in their hearts there's this pain and there's this hurt and there's this longing for good things. It seems like this force that just has its, has its fingers all around us is choking the life out of all things that are good in our, in our world. And we need something, need something strong in order to fight back at that. Because our own minds and, and our own courage and our own strength and the best wisdom that we can come up with, it's not strong enough. We need We need something or someone stronger. That's why Jeremiah dreams that this is the word of the Lord of armies, the commander of unlimited power. I will restore. See, at its its base, the thing that we struggle with is this constant decaying results of sin and evil in our lives. We're just constantly dealing with that. But God says, this is what I will do. I will will restore. I will bring these things back into my power. But what is it that he is working that power toward? When we look at the restore, what is he going to restore to? He says, when I restore their fortunes, 
Like it's important for us to wonder and ask ourselves, what is the ideal? What is it that God is working towards? Because if God's working towards something, we want to we work toward that. Well, it uses the word fortunes. Most often the way that we use the word fortunes is like, like buried treasure, you know, like uh, Scrooge McDuck type of stuff, you know, like just, just a lot of coins, a lot of money, and, that, and that, that idea that we would have all of this gold and all of this fortune, but that's not what God's talking about. He's not saying when I restore all of their wealth. There's indications, there's illustrations and, and illuminations in the text about what fortunes means. First of all, you can see it there when he talks about those who will settle in the land. He says all the people who, will, uh, who, who live in the cities and the farmers and the flocks. He's referring to the, the way that they, um, the, what they do. There's commerce in the cities and then there's farming and then there's shepherding, that the work that they do. When God says, I will restore them, what he's saying is, I will restore the, the fruit of their labor, the produce of their, of their workmanship. One of the results of the, the curse is that we would work and that the work would fight us back, right? That like, it's not easy to do work. It's hard. It's, it's exhausting. And what God's saying is, I'm going to restore to where when they work, it will be fruitful work. Whether they're shepherding or farming or commerce or whatever it is, that, that the work would be productive and good. Not only that, but then at the verse 25, he says, for I satisfy those who are thirsty and, and feed those who are weak. That sort of uh, satisfying the thirst and the hunger is the idea that God is going to take care not only of their physical needs, but also uh, of their spiritual needs. So, so here's what God is saying. Like, I will restore them to where the work that they do, the labor that they do will be productive and they will be satisfied and taken care of, that their needs will be met. This is, this is again, the picture all throughout the scriptures. In Genesis, uh, in the creation. Adam and Eve, they were put in the garden and they were to work that garden and all of their needs were met in that garden. But because of the fall, because of decay and corruption, all of that became difficult and convoluted and hard and, and conflicting. In Philippians, in chapter four, Paul brings up the same idea when he's talking to the Philippian Christians and he's saying, look, your generosity, you've given money, you're following God, you're trusting God, and that's obvious because you're sacrificing your own finances for the good of others. And he says to them, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches. You hear the similar language there that like God, according to his power, according to his strength, in Philippians, it's finances, and here it is relational and work and all that sort of stuff, that God will leverage all of that for the good of his people. That's what it says. So you have this God's power toward the good. And that's not, right? That's not hard for us to think about. God is all powerful. We get that. And he works towards the good. We can imagine that. The part where we really struggle, I think, is who he would work his strength and good for. Like, because we're all dealing with it. But is God going to use this kind of power for you? Is he going to use this kind of power for me? Is he going to use it for them or, or those people over there? Is this how God would leverage it? Look at the verse again. It says in verse 24, Judah and all its cities will live together, also farmers and those who move with the flocks. Now, I already talked about those categories of work, but it's not just the designations of the labor that they do, but it's also class status and kinds of people. Those in the cities did not look favorably 
on the shepherds. And here they all are all put together by the people that God will bless. This is all the people of Judah. See, here's something important for us to keep in mind that God is not working his plan, uh, this special little plan for the elite, special little plan for the good, special little plan for those who are on the inner circle. And then he'll see if he can get to the rest of us later. What this text, what Judah's dream was, was that God was restoring with all of his strength towards the good for all people, regardless of class and regardless of uh, whether they're the outsider or the insider. This is God's plan for all people, that he was going to work his power towards the good of everyone. The Bible commentary that we give to small group leaders here at the church, it puts it this way. This That phrase there, this conveys that everything and everyone that had made Judah what it once was when it had flourished would be restored. And listen, this lands with me. This point right here, this thought really, really causes me to meditate and think deeply about this. Because, like I said, it is not at all hard for me to think that God is all powerful. I think that, you think that, we all think that. God is strong. It's also not hard for me to imagine that God would use his strength for good. I mean, we just sort of, we just sort of pick that up by osmosis. God is strong and he's for good. Here's the part that really, uh, really gets me hung up is like, but like for everyone, for me, maybe you have similar experiences in which you have heard throughout your life that you're not good enough that you're not loved, that you don't make the cut. Maybe there's something internally, even I find the most talented and most beautiful and most attractive and most athletic people have deep down within them this constant drive to achieve and to be better because they're trying to hush this whisper in their mind that says, you're not good enough. You're not, you're not loved. And so you hear something like this and God is strong, God is powerful for other people, not for me. God has a plan. God will leverage his strength for you. Or we get that in our weakness, but sometimes in our pride, we will think that God does love me and he has a plan for me and for those I like, but not for them. Not for whoever the they is, right? You don't know those those people God doesn't love. Those people are bad. Those People, they do horrible things. They, they, they reject and they rebel and all that sort of stuff. God doesn't have a plan for them. And this verse, this dream, this idea of a good and a better future really, really works on our pride and our self-identity. That God really does have a plan for you. He does love you. He does have an idea for what is good in your life, but he does the same for them. This is really a challenge to our idea of what a good and a better future would be. It's that all people would flourish. The ones you like and the ones you don't like and you yourself. That God has a plan for all people. That's his intent on restoration. It's not just you and yours that are going to be restored and and made whole. It's also them. In fact, isn't that a much more beautiful plan? That your enemies, that the ones that have hurt you, the ones that are so different, the ones that you just don't understand, that they too would be loved and redeemed and restored by God. Ultimately, this idea that God's strength for the good of others that satisfies is ultimately, most beautifully met in Jesus. See, the person Jesus 
is the fulfillment to Jeremiah's dream. You hear it again there when he says in verse 25, for I satisfy the thirsty person and feed all those who are weak. John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus is the ultimate restoration to the way that we are supposed to be in Christ. We are made right and whole and complete in the way that we were always supposed to be, one with another, one with God, and one with self. That in Christ we are restored to the kind of people that contribute to the kind of community, that contribute to the kind of family and relationships that God has always designed that we would be. That's how we are restored. That's who and the way and the path by which we are restored. But pay attention. He says, all those who come to me, all those who believe. Outside of Jesus, listen, it's just constant decay and continued corruption and continually spiraling down into our own self-loathing rots. But in Christ, we are made whole. In Christ, we are made right. So here's the application just a couple of things that you could do, some, some things that we could apply to our lives. The first one is to join in the work of restoration. If this is God's dream given to Jeremiah, ultimately in Jesus Christ, then we should do this. We should be a part of this. We should join what God is doing in restoration. So in relationships, take steps towards relationships. Take steps towards restoring what has been broken and avoid anything like gossip and assumption and slander that would destroy those relationships personally and in your family and in your church and in your work. Walk towards restoration and away from other breaking. Also, share the gospel. Give the good news to other people. Tell them that in Jesus, this is what we are looking for. Another idea would be this, this, this activity that we're doing right now. It's called a Christmas in July here at the church. It's just a very simple way for you to help other people. You can buy a sleeping bag. You can donate $10. You can pay to have somebody's house, put all these penguins in their front yard. You can do all of that to help. And, and, and I understand that on some level, it feels like, oh, it's just something my church does. It's just a thing. I mean, we're being nice to people. It's sort of like there's my spiritual life when I think and I pray and I read my Bible. And then there's like this other stuff that we do that's just sort of good. But what I'm trying to tell you is, no, they're not different. This one is living this one out. If you believe this one, you will do this one. Because it's not just uh, giving somebody a cup, uh, a cup of cold water. It's not just giving somebody a sandwich. It is literally working participating, joining in with what Jesus is doing to restore, to feed the hungry and to give drink to the thirsty, to give the gospel to other people so that they would know through Jesus that this is what they need. So join in the restoration work that Jesus is doing. And secondly, trust God for the outcome. Secondly is trust God for the outcome. Here's something I'm learning in my life. And I think that we all need to learn this better. I certainly do. We can only see the actions that other people uh, do, right? You can only see the work. You can only see the actions. And what we tend to do is when I see somebody behave or when you see somebody act in a certain way, then we don't know the motives or the, the intent, so we assume it. And often we fill the gap 
with what? With distrust. We can only see what they do and then we fill the gap with distrust. And so we assume the worst in people. And, and what's even more tragic is that we will fill that gap with distrust or we'll hear something or we'll talk a little bit and all this kind of stuff. And we've got this distrust that's decaying and corroding and breaking down the relationship. And we never go back and try to fix it. We never go back and ask. We never go say, hey, is this what you meant? It looked like you said this. It looked like you did this. And that's not cool. It hurt or, you know, something. We never do that. That's true, human, human. We're all in this scenario on one time or the other in this place. My question though, my curiosity is, do we do that to God? Do we, we just see what he's doing? Like when he makes you wait. Like, like when you're struggling through different things, when he is working in your lives and it's painful, but he is breaking down your pride. We see what he's doing. And then do we assume that he doesn't love me? Do we assume that he's done, that, that we have no value? Do we assume these sort of stuff? We never go back and check. We never go back and, and, and ask. We never ask our mentors or our pastors. We're like, this is what it looks like he's doing. Does he no longer love me? Because what we need to do is remind ourselves that no matter what it looks like, because I can see his actions, I have to remind myself that his intent is restoration. His intent is to make me good and whole and complete, to bring me back to the ideal. And so no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, his intent is for the good of those who love him. Join the work that he's doing. Assume, remind yourself of his good intent. And then thirdly, I would say, make this your dream. Make this your dream. It's often said that your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thought. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thought. What if our strongest thought was restoration? That relationships would be made right. That no matter what she did, no matter what he did, no matter what they said, that we would move toward restoration. We would take steps towards restoration in our relationships, in our church, in our community, all throughout. That we're just obsessed with the idea of people far from God being made right with God that we're just obsessed with the idea that the hungry should not be hungry, that children should not sleep outside at night, that families should not be broken, and that we will do what we can with all of our power because it is all we can think about is the restoration of the ideal. A few years ago, Ford Motor Company released or re-released the Bronco. And you may not be a Ford guy like me or Jesus, but you have to admit... You have to admit that those Broncos are beautiful. They're really beautiful. You see them everywhere. I looked them up the other day just for uh, the sake of this little illustration here. And, and the first one that popped up on Auto Trader was $129,000. Jesus is going to have to buy that one. All right. I ain't got that kind of coin. But they are beautiful. And, and you know, I've never really been a Bronco guy. Uh, I'm more of the truck guy, like F-150 Ranger. But the Broncos, I mean, they're cool. The other problem is that I'm a kid of the 90s. And every time I hear the word Bronco, I think of a white one running from the cops down an LA freeway. That's, that's all I can think of, right? But they're growing on me for sure. I look at those and I think, man, those things are beautiful. Not just the new ones, but the old ones. Cleaning them up, fixing them. I've got a, a, a preacher buddy. Uh, in another state, he and I will send each other pictures back and forth. We'll text each other, look, look at this F-100, this 
F-250, this Bronco that's been restored and cleaned up. One of the ways, or one of the websites that we both really like is called gatewaybroncos.com. And um, if you want to go ahead and Google that right now, you go ahead and do that. You bookmark that for later, gatewaybronco.com. Um, they don't list the price on the website of what these things cost. And a rule of thumb is if they don't list the price, you can't afford it, all right? As a, another rule of thumb is if the discount is more than you can afford, then you can't afford it, all right? So I, I Googled and I tried to find out how much does gatewaybronco.com charge? They said on several websites that they're gonna start at $265,000. I ain't paying that, but they are pretty. They're really pretty. The thing about these restored Broncos, these remade Broncos or, or, or whatever it is, the thing about them is that it's not just the mechanics of it. It's like art. Because what people do when they restore old vehicles or homes or anything like that is they take this ideal that we can't really articulate. You can't really say what makes a, a, a Bronco most Bronco-ish, you know? You can't really say this is what would make the house perfect. It's just the artist comes in and takes an ideal, an idea, uh, an image, and then captures it perfectly. That's why we mostly, you know, gravitate towards um, colors and paint jobs and things that we wouldn't buy off of a new lot, but when it's restored, it's, that's what looks right. That's, that's the idea. The interior needs to look this way. The exterior needs to look this way. It needs to sit this high and have these features to it. It's taking what you cannot describe but we all know, and then building it by its strength and by its power. And listen, that's what God wants to do with you and in your life and in your marriage and in your home and in your community and in your church and your small group, your friend circle, your team, your dorm, your class. That's what God wants to do for you. It's this, it's this beautiful picture. And I can't in my limited abilities describe to you exactly what it is. I can only paint with broad strokes and say, it looks like, it feels like forgiveness. It looks like grace. It sounds like mercy. It just, I can't truly tell you what it looks like to be restored in God's image, but I can just say it's, it's a dream worth chasing. You gonna dream that with me? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.